So it's so nice to be here with all of you. Um, I can see Pasha and Mamuk and Jojo. And um, yeah, I'm Matt. Um, so my name is Nancy Petrin and uh, I live at uh, City Center here in San Francisco. And um, yeah, right now um, I, I came to Zen Center uh, in 1995 was the first time I came to Zen Center. Um, Green Gulch Farm. And I lived at Green Gulch for nine years. Uh, uh, I worked on the farm. I was a farm and garden apprentice for four years. I worked on the farm. Um, and, uh, um, and then I left. And at that point, I had a five-year-old daughter. Um, she's now 22. Um, and then I began at, I was a, uh, a birth doula for many years. And then I started working for Zen Center again. Um, I always was involved at Zen Center even after I left running the children's programs and, um, and uh, then I became a single mom. I was a single mom for about eight years. And I was working for Zen Center then in programs and fundraising. Uh, and then when my dad, daughter graduated from high school, I uh, went back to doula work. And um, I was working as a postpartum and a night doula. Um, being a night doula is my favorite thing because you get to take care of babies when uh, parents are absolutely exhausted. Um, it's really wonderful work. And then the pandemic arrived. And um, so there was a need in the temple for a tanto, which is uh, that person is um, uh, head of practice, holds the forms, um, kind of like a dean of students in a way, um, and is uh, assists the abbot um, in the official duties and the schedule of the temple. So uh, for the last two years, I've been Tonto at City Center. And uh, um, I'm a lay practitioner very much a lay practitioner, I realized after many, many years of loving the forms and thinking I might uh, want to be a priest because priest practice really is um, uh, about the forms and the ceremony. Um, but there's something about lay practice for me that um, feels as though this is the way that I can um, uh, embody practice and share practice uh, uh, more freely, more easily, uh, more, uh, I don't know more because I've never been a priest, but uh, 
with joy. So in the mornings here uh, at Zen Center, at City Center, uh, we have the morning program, which is uh, we wake up and we go to the Zendo first thing and we sit together in silence. And um, after Zazen, we all come up to the Buddha Hall. And in the Buddha Hall, um, it's a beautiful room with beautiful Buddhas and tatami mats. And um, we have service every day of bowing and um, uh, avowing our karma, you know, all my ancient twisted karma, kind of calling in our karma, like karma come to me so that I can see you, so I can be in relationship with you, um, so I can understand myself and others more fully. Um, and then after we avow our karma, um, which is all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. And um, after we do that three times, then we take refuge in Buddha and in Dharma and in Sangha. Um, and um, then there's uh, offerings of light and fragrance and water to the Buddha. And um, then we chant and every day we chant different sutras. Every day we chant the Heart Sutra, um, and, uh, which is an emptiness sutra. Um, and then we chant different sutras every morning. And after doing this for many years um, or for an intense period of time, doesn't have to be many years, um, you know, throughout the day, um, uh, I find, I know this happens with others as well, that, you know, a line from a sutra will come to you. Or even when you're there in the Buddha hall and you're chanting, maybe one line of a sutra, you know, just kind of like jumps out at you. And um, the line of a sutra that I wanted to bring here tonight to Yaz is from, uh, uh, um, it's actually a poem, a 42 line poem called the Sandokai, Harmony of Difference and Equality. And um, this was written by Sekito Kisen, um, who is uh, one of our ancestors in um, our lineage. And Sekito Kisen lived in the 700s uh, in Japan. And the first kind of uh, written uh, trace uh, Sekito Kisen was an exchange that he had when he was 12 years old with uh, the sixth ancestor. Uh, so this poem called the Sandokai was uh, Suzuki Roshi's uh, favorite teaching. And um, each month we chant the Sandokai in, uh, in Japanese 
um, it's some kind of, it's an ancient form of Japanese. It's not like Japanese that any Japanese person would necessarily recognize. Um, so we chant that um, on the evening of the third, which is the evening that Suzuki Roshi died on December 3rd. And then the next morning we uh, chant the um, Sandokai in English. Um, so this, this gift every month of honoring Suzuki Roshi. And the line from the Sandokai, which always really um, kind of got me uh, for quite a while is, if you don't know the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? So um, actually, I think, um, let me see if I have it here. So um, I was going to read you the, the, um, the poem, but I've lost it sometimes. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's this, it's this line of, uh, from the Sandokai um, that, I, that stood out for me and that became this turning phrase or this teaching um, if you don't know the way right before you, how do you know the path as you walk? So for me, this points to, uh, as Zen teachings often do, um, uh, the way that we tend to orient or our tendencies or our conditioning to look for truths um, outside of ourself. Um, so um, how do I know the way? You know, what is it that guides me? Uh, what do I understand as uh, what is true? Um, oh, Jojo. So the Sandokai, the harmony of difference and sameness, the mind of the great sage of India. And you can just listen, actually, um, rather than reading along, why don't you uh, uh, close your eyes, um, just let the words come to you, notice your breath, just let the words of Sekito Kisen from the 700s 
Japan, uh, these words that Suzuki Roshi loved, let them just move through you. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement. Otherwise, each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form. Sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and sights, ear and sounds, nose and smells, tongue and tastes. Thus with each and everything, depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence, revered and common, each has its speech. In the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another, like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit, expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit. Principles, principle responds, arrow points meet. Hearing the words understand the meaning. Don't set up standards of your own. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Pro progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery to not pass your days and nights in vain. So how will I know how do, um, how do I know the way right before me if I don't know the path as I walk? If you don't know the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? So I feel this is pointing to, as I said before, how we orient and um, what our tendencies are um, our tendency to look outside ourself. Um, the place of orientation um, that uh, we are taught in Zen and Buddhism, which is actually the ground to which we return, the ground on which we can stand. <coughs> is called our true nature. So true nature has, um, uh, it's, it's very elusive. It's, uh, it's pointed to, we're told it's here always, it's with us always. 
and yet when we look for it, uh, we can't find it. Um, and yet when we allow ourselves to return as we do in Zazen to a place of non-thinking, there's a sense of something, you know, there's a sense of uh, something that is more true than looking outside ourself for, uh, for the truths, for a place from which we can speak, um, from a place of strength. Um, so, uh, you know, as uh, I believe some of you were here last week and um, I know that you were talking about suffering and, you know, our tendency is to, uh, to turn from our suffering, to avoid pain, to avoid discomfort. And, um, and, and what we're taught in Zen, what we're encouraged to do is to actually turn towards. So as in Zazen, when we are returning to the experience of this moment, this felt experience, this lived, experience. Um, it's a, a turning towards um, that uh, learning to come back to ourself rather than to look outside of ourself is ultimately where we'll find freedom. And when I say freedom, I'm pointing to uh, this true nature or Buddha nature as another name for it or pure awareness um, or just this, just this moment. Um, so there's a, um, a practice period happening right now that Paul and Christina, uh, Paul Howler and Christina Lenhar are leading, and the focus is on refuge. And um, uh, really, you can pick up any teaching in Buddhism, and I think it's all pointing to the same thing. Um, it's pointing to uh, this taproot of, of Zazen, um, of uh, giving ourselves over to actually what's happening in the moment. Um, and uh, in this practice period, uh, Paul and Christina are encouraging us to actually frame our practice as refuge. Returning to the breath, returning to this moment, understanding that that is refuge, um, that, uh, that this is how we can understand the way right before us as the way right here. Um, 
So, um, maybe this is a, a good time to, uh, to see what questions there might be to have a little question and answer and see what's alive um, with ideas, with the teachings that I've brought forward thus far. You know, and, and as, um, as maybe you start to turn this for yourself, um, uh, one of the practices uh, that was introduced this week um, was really the practice of in any activity that you par are participating in, throughout the day um, to simply slow down the slightest bit and then notice what's there. Um, I know for me, I get into a habituated uh, pace, um, habituated pattern of moving through the day and um, when I can catch myself and remind myself to return, um, uh, there's something fresh there um, that takes me out of uh, kind of this autopilot or this pattern. Um, I was working with Christina a while ago and it was a time when I was just really overwhelmed with work and family and, and um, I was working in the building across the street from Zen Center and I would come into this building a lot to go to the conference room. And she suggested that each time that I come into the building rather than racing through the building so that I wouldn't have to interact with anyone, <laughs> um, that I actually slow down. And when she suggested that I slow down, I said, but you don't understand. I have so much I need to do. I can't slow down. Um, but I did notice coming into the building and just using coming onto that red tiled um, hallway as a reminder, um, just shifting a little bit into the weight of my heels rather than leaning forward and kind of just moving through the hallway. Um, I think also being willing to um, let go of this pattern, like to renounce this pattern um, and try something new um, to be curious about what was happening, you know, even though, um, you know, uh, when it's framed as suffering, you know, it was like the last thing I wanted to do was kind of turn towards it. Um, really, I just wanted it to be gone. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was something that I would just describe as more enjoyable, you know, 
um, about moving through the hallway that way and being open to what might come my way. Um, so this slight slowing down in a, in a daily activity um, and building in these, these pauses, you know, in our day. So, um, you know, perhaps you're uh, not participating in the practice period and um, still I'm, I'm curious if there are ways that um, uh, that you build practice into your day. Um, if you build uh, meditation, you know, what we're cultivating in, in meditation, if there's a way that that, that little taste, you know, the little taste of, of our Buddha nature, our true nature, um, which kind of is here all the time, just underlying everything. Um, uh, you know, how does that speak to you? Uh, is there a way of, um, that you already see this as existing in your day? in your practice, you know, and even as I ask that question, what comes up for you, you know, your practice, you know, do you consider that you have a practice, you know, do you find that perhaps you might be judging yourself about that? Um, like, oh, what I do couldn't be called practice, you know. Yeah, I saw that Jojo put in the chat, if anyone wants to unmute and uh, just speak up to go ahead. And if you have a question, it's not related to, um, you know, the path, the way, uh, refuge. If it's just a question that you want to bring forward. Uh, hey, Alex. Hey, Nancy, I'd love to ask a question. I guess, uh, I, guess I had two. Um, the Sandokai, I forget where I had heard it from. I don't know if, if somebody read it during a service at the temple at one point or probably, I guess. But I always found it uh, perplexing, especially like the way that it kind of has these couplets that I guess it's, the whole point is to kind of confuse you. But it's like box and lid fit and then arrow points meet. And I think Kodo was chanting. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> So um, I guess the, the part of it that I, I was curious about is the part of... Um, Hearing the words, understand the meaning, don't set up standards of your own. Like what is, are the set, setting standards of your own, does that kind of mean like trust the path, trust the way, don't come up with your own thing? Is mm -hmm. that the idea there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, don't set up standards on your own, you know. Um, uh, take refuge in the teachings, take refuge in the teachers, uh, take refuge in not knowing. And, and, you know, it's like, don't set up standards on your own. Well, we're all doing that all the time, right? Um, but are you willing to, uh, to let, are you willing to let them go? You know, are you willing to be curious about them? Or, um, yeah, 
makes sense. And then yeah. um, my second question is, I, I'd love to hear a little more about your decision to be to be a lay practitioner and kind of what that means for you um, and what it means in Zen. I know when I first started hanging out at the temple, I, I didn't know that there was a difference. Like I thought you were a priest like everybody else, you know, cause you know, and you, you have a, a, a formal title and you, you know, you know, for me being in the temple, I felt you being part of those forms and, you know, in some ways enforcing some of the, the forms and, you know, reminding people, you know, to do, to do this and that um, kind of keeping everybody on track on the path. Um, and then I heard that, you know, and I was like, okay, so there's a difference between you can be ordained, but you can be lay ordained. You can also be a, pr but so you're, you're part of the practice and you're, you can administer things, but then you're not a priest. And so I guess kind of like, what does that mean in Zen? And what did that mean for you? Um, you know, was it just the, the kind of the rigidness of the forms that, that didn't feel right? Or was there any other part of like choosing that path for you? Um, mm. Yeah. Such a big, such a, such a long answer, but I'll try and keep it really short. Um, so when I first started practicing at Green Gulch, there were quite a number of uh, senior uh, students, uh, uh, teachers who were lay teachers. And, um, and also the, the practice at Green Gulch, um, was um, uh, you know it was farming, and um, it was very kind of um, like Soto Zen priests are traditionally like they're farmers, you know. Um, so there was something about there's something for me about um, again what I said earlier about uh, how do I want to bring. Um, you know, what package do I want? You know, what costume do I want? How, how do I want to move through the world? Um, and I tell my teacher this and he tells me that it's not his experience, but for me, whenever I've considered priest ordination and consider shaving my head and putting on robes, for me personally, it feels like it's a barrier between me and, uh, people. So, and I know that's, and for him, it was exactly the opposite. Like he said, once he, he was a lay practitioner for many, many years at Satizan. And then when he shaved and put on the robes, he said that he just felt like, you know, uh, people gravitated towards him and sought, you know, refuge in him as a, as a priest because of the robes. So for each one of us, I think it's, you know, um, don't set up standards on your own. I don't, it's like, um, how do I know the way? And it's like, I know the way because I come back here. You know, I don't know the way before me. I only know what's here in this moment, you know? So. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. That's super helpful. Yeah. And it's cool to hear for those of us who are studying, you know, it was encouraging for me to hear that I could be involved in Zen and have a path that thoroughly a priesthood, you know, where you can still be really involved in spiritual practice and, and guide others and not necessarily, you know, be a full on priest, which is, which is a, a, you know, I hadn't heard of that in other spiritual practices as much. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Suzuki Roshi said something like in America, like priests are like lay people and lay people are like priests. <laughs> I feel like that's really true at Zen Center, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for the questions. I'll share something related to the prompt that you were talking about earlier, Nancy, about mm. how we're bringing practice into our everyday. And it came up for me because you're talking because of the Green Gulch retreat that we did in 2019, where one of the meals, we sat in silence and had a really slow meditation on the food before us and what it looked like, contemplated what it looked like, smelled the smells, slowly ate, really like tasted the food, felt it going down. There's always the meal chant at the Zen centers, of course, where you are grateful for the food and, and chant about um, being grateful to the people that brought you the produce. And since we're on a farm, it's very clear who brought you the produce, which is nice. And that felt so grounding. And so sometimes I find I'm so busy that I'm often just like shoveling food in my mouth, standing in the kitchen, like doing something on my phone, also my computer, like standing on one leg, just like trying to quickly, like, <laughs> you know, and you're like running around and I do try to at least once a week have a meal where I'm not doing anything. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm not watching TV. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not reading and eating. I'm just eating. And that's been really magical. And now I notice that I enjoy it so much that it starts to come out in the middle of other meals. I'll kind of like have a bite and be like, mm -hmm. and then just sit there for a moment, enjoying it. And I think, um, yeah, just one of my little practice moments. You know, as you're talking, Jojo, I'm thinking about how the world, everything is like speaking to us in every moment. Like we're a part of everything in every moment. And we're so caught up in our thinking minds and our planning minds and our worrying minds, you know. And it's like there's so much that's being offered to us in in each moment you know like just like given like the air the breeze on our skin the the sounds um and i like as a turning phrase a practice phrase i like to use um, what else is here um, and sometimes I do that, like if I'm really stressed out about something, I'll ask myself that question. I'll just, you know, it's like I'm getting so focused on one thing, you know, or a story that keeps coming back or a conversation that I had or what else, whatever. And what I'm fortunate enough to remember, you know, to ask myself this question, it's like, oh, you know, what else is here, you know, and to allow my awareness you know for allow myself to come back to the moment and my senses and to allow kind of my aperture 
to open, you know, um, it's, uh, Dogen has this phrase in one of his teachings that is um, about giving bodhisattva activity and it's um, that you give yourself to yourself and you give others to others. Um, but it's like giving yourself back to yourself, you know. Um, and again, you know, our true nature, our Buddha nature, it's like we're not separate from anything, you know. So giving myself back to myself is at the same time a completely expansive uh, returning, you know, refuge. Hi, Hello. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for sharing the Sandokai. I was not familiar with this poem, or if I had heard it before, I definitely had never like looked at it. Um, and I don't think I realized, like I was listening as you read it and it was very peaceful and there was a lot of phrases in there that stuck out to me. But when Alex came on and was mentioning like, oh, it's like sets of couplets, I started looking at it differently and I've been just like kind of pondering it as this discussion has been going on. There's definitely a lot of depth here, but I guess I wanted to ask like, you know, is there like, I, my, my mind goes to like looking at the couplets as some sort of like form of duality and then breaking down of the duality, how like each line kind of like not contradicts itself, but like makes a statement and then like, I don't know, steps back, reverses it, or that's not, Obviously, I haven't had time to truly digest this whole poem, but I wanted to ask if there was some sort of like, I don't know, like a higher level analysis of it. Yeah. I feel like I'm talking in such tech terms right now. Is there a higher level analysis of the Sandokai? Please provide that to me. All right. Well, uh, um, yeah, just so just before I point you anywhere, Matt, yeah. <laughs> I want to point you back to. Uh, the letting yourself be undone by the poem, you know? Um, and, uh, and what would it be like to memorize it? You know, what would it be like to memorize it before you go anywhere else and you read any other commentary on it, you know? What would it be to actually like take this in and um, you know, I, I know this by heart the, the, um, in English. I know it almost by heart in Japanese. Um, but, um, and especially when we're chanting it together, you know, like, oh, well, forget something and then someone else comes in and then I remember it. And, but, um, but there's something so wonderful about memorizing um, and like memorizing a poem and like I was saying, like, keep turning it. And then like in these moments, like they just kind of like, you know, just kind of come to you, you know? So um, there are many analysis of the, of the Sandokai. Um, and Suzuki Roshi actually wrote a book um, when branching streams flow in the dark. Um, is the so, whole book on this one poem? Because I was the thinking book is on the Sandokai. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think Okamura Sensei 
I think um, Okamura may have also, who is just an absolute, he's a, he's a Dogen scholar and he is just, he's a living treasure. Look, you're Googling him right now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just taking notes. This is good stuff. Uh, 